0: Before we get into today's episode, I just wanna take a minute to talk to you about making authentic friendships. You might remember the founder, Juliana Featherman, from episode 34 of Adventures in Autism. She is an autism sibling who created this amazing interactive web app that enables children ages 13 and up and adults with special needs to make friends based on age, interest, diagnosis, and geographic location. Parents and caregivers can also sign up to connect with other parents and caregivers. For more info or to sign up, head to MakingAuthenticFriendships.com. Hi everyone, welcome to Adventures in Autism, episode 91. I am Megan Carranza, thank you so much for coming to listen. If it is your first episode, welcome, so happy to have you. And if you've been listening, thank you so much for coming on back, especially now during these crazy times we are experiencing. We are still in full quarantine mode over here. I know some states are kind of lifting things. I actually have many, many updates <laughs> for you guys on what's been going over here, but going on over here, I should say, but that is a conversation for another episode. Maybe I'll do a, an episode next week about some some updates um today i'm really excited my guest is john Felligeller. and john is an autism dad and an amazing advocate we were actually connected through past guest Sarah Marshall. She was my guest in episode fifteen, which is also a great episode for the the vault, the back in the beginning of Adventures in Autism. And she is amazing. She's a, a a travel agent that specializes in planning vacations for families with special needs. And she had met John, and then contacted me and was like, "I have somebody who would be amazing on the podcast." So John and I connected, and we we talk about this on the show. But it was many moons ago that we had initially connected and just trying to find a time to make this happen was difficult for us, but like what better time than when we're all in quarantine? So we recorded this episode just a few weeks back and we do talk a little bit about quarantine. John has a really amazing story with his son. He also is recently divorced. So he talks about co-parenting and kind of some of his strategies. He's also a really amazing advocate, which he actually does for work. Um, And he talks about his work in ministry. At at the end of this episode, he references the Easter service that he was a part of, which we recorded this, I I honestly think, like just a couple days before Easter. And I kept it in because he said that you can actually go back and, and listen to that. And it's like geared specifically for families with special needs. So I thought that'd be a great resource. Um, We talk about this on the episode, but that's something I feel like comes up quite a bit that I hear about from people that, like, their church life is really important, but kind of finding a way to work their special needs family into all that sometimes can be a challenge, so... John is a really great resource when it comes to that. Um, But we just had a a really awesome conversation, and he's he's just a, a great guy and a great advocate. And you guys know I love having a dad on the show. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with John. Hi, John. Welcome to Adventures in Autism.
1: Hey, Megan. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, thank you. I was just chatting with you beforehand. We have been trying to make this happen for months now. <laughs> um, yep. and Obviously, we're all in kind of a, a unique season dealing with the coronavirus, lots of school closing and cancellations. So we're a little more free right now. Um, and I was really excited to finally get you on the pod. So I, I'm not super familiar with your story. I know a little bit, but I'm excited to kind of hear you sort of take us back to the beginning. So if you will take us back to the beginning of your autism journey and what that looked like for you, I would love to hear.
1: Sure, absolutely. And uh, I guess I'll just start just speaking a little bit about me and my background. So, um, I live in the north suburbs of Chicago. Uh, I currently live in Highwood, Illinois, which is near Highland Park, Illinois. Um, I am a Chicago native born and raised on the north side of the city. Um, My lovely, uh, soon to be ex-wife now um, Mm -hmm. grew up in the north suburbs and that's kind of how I wound up here. So I'm a city boy at heart, but I've been living in the suburbs for about the last 17 years. Um, I was a school teacher for the last 17 years as well, mostly elementary. Um, and doing a variety of things in, in school environments. And then um, I just recently transitioned within the last year to working for uh, an organization locally um, as a program manager for a nonprofit that works with special needs adults. Um, so that's who I am kind of and what I do. And I'll, I'll speak a little bit more maybe to my advocacy work a little bit later. But in terms of my story as as an autism parent, uh, my my uh, wife and I had one child, Christopher, who is 12. He is autistic, nonverbal. Uh, he uh, still resides in uh, Northbrook, which is not far from me, uh, uh, in the north suburbs of Chicago with, with again, my ex, Elizabeth. Um, Christopher, uh, when he was born, he was born uh, premature. He was four pounds, two ounces. He was born five weeks early. And I would tell you that he had a variety of, of issues uh, from early on. Uh, We really, even though we both had a background in education, we really didn't know a lot in terms of developmental milestones, early childhood development, that type of thing. And so, you know, what we kind of just pushed to the side is maybe being a colicky baby or, you know, a child who maybe just had a little bit of, of sensitivity to certain things. We didn't really think that there was an issue developmentally. Well, the story I love to tell about how we got started on our, on our walk here is for his 18 month checkup, we went to see his pediatrician who we liked and had no problem with. And she asked us the question, is he speaking? And we replied with, well, not really, you know, he's doing um, a little bit in terms of vocalizing, he makes a couple sounds here and there, but I, I wouldn't say that it's anything that we're really considering, e- even something at least in terms of, of our own minds, um, something that is really developmentally appropriate. And so she said, okay, listen, here's what you're going to do you're going to go across the street to the professional building from, from her office and you're gonna go see a speech therapist. And her literal words to us, and I just love quoting this because I think it's it's just so um, enigmatic of your walk as an autism parent. The doctor literally said, I don't know what they do, but I know they play with the kids and they make them talk. So take them there, they'll make them talk and you'll be fine. And we're wow. like, okay, we'll we'll be fine, we'll do that. So we take him to the speech therapist, and the speech therapist was lovely, but we didn't really see a lot of improvement. And then, of course, that led to getting his hearing tested, which the hearing was fine. And then, of course, that led to us getting early interventions and uh, early intervention services in the state of Illinois. So we started to have therapists come into the home. We had no formal diagnosis at that time, but we did know that there were definitely some delays. Uh, mostly cognitively, some motor impairment as well. He, he was a little bit of a late walker. Um, he did need some um, orthotics to kind of help um, with his motor movement a little bit. Um, and when he was about, I would tell you, about three and a half. We got the formal diagnosis of at the time, and I'm going back a ways here, about 10 years, uh, PDD-NOS, Pervasive Developmental Disorder, not otherwise specified.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: there was a neuropsych who was in the Chicago area, very well known, who actually really pushed us to say um, this diagnosis, which, which actually now it's all under just the autism umbrella. So that really doesn't right. exist anymore. But at that mm-hmm. time, she felt like it would maybe open up more doors with them, especially in terms of insurance and um, you know therapy and that type of thing. So she recommended ABA therapy. She recommended um, some other more holistic things like cranial sacral, et cetera, which we had already been doing. Um, and, you know, we just kind of kept going on the journey. So we started with ABA therapy. We looked at uh, the more holistic things. We looked at his diet. Um, we tried to, we actually did have him test that he, as it turned out, he was gluten um, intolerant. So not a high, Uh, degree of sensitivity to gluten but he you know it was better if he didn't have it Um, we tried a full you know non-gluten diet non-dairy diet because he had um, an intolerance to that as well turned out that he didn't like gluten-free food which you know it's it's a little better now but about you know, 10 years ago, it wasn't that great.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, as I'm sure you're probably aware. So, um, <laughs> and he just didn't want to eat. In fact, one joke we tell him the family is that at one point he went to the cat food bowl and tried to eat the cat kibble. Cause he's like, you you guys aren't just, uh, you know, you're, you're really uh, killing me here. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, so then we just decided to back off on that a little bit, get him, you know, get him fed and make made sure that he was happy and healthy, which he wasn't is, um, and I would tell you that that started a run of about, again, the last 10 years of constant therapy, mostly ABA, um, but we have really, my my ex-wife and I, very open-minded to pretty much any treatment as long as we felt it was safe. So we've done, you know, um, neurofeedback therapy, we've done vision therapy, um, you know, we've done equine therapy, you know, um, we've done a variety of PT and OT um, and I would tell you that you know, there are some things we saw benefit from and, and some not as much. Um, some therapists that were great and some that were not. Um, I like to think that we have a really good setup for him now. He does attend the public schools um, at you know, in his town of, of my former town of Northbrook, Illinois. Um, it's a great school district there. Um, great life skills program that he's in, wonderful teachers, wonderful setup that, you know, we foresee he will you know easily be at, you know, through that local school district, um, through high school and into transition.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, one thing that was kind of unique to our experience that happened about a year ago, though, was that he had no uh, history of seizures. Mm-hmm. And last year, and I would tell you that it was just about over, just over a year ago, it was in March of last year, that I got a call from my, from my ex-wife um, at home saying that, uh, our son had thrown up in the car on the way back from ABA therapy. And this was on a Saturday. And she said, just be ready when I come home to kind of help clean him up. And mm-hmm. I just got sick on something he ate for lunch, ate too much, whatever it was. I opened up the car door and I noticed that he looked, he had the look of somebody who had just had a stroke. Um, mm-hmm. His was turned, his he was drooling, his eyes rolled back in his head. He, uh, he was uh, incontinent. Um, he could not stand up. We literally had to carry him into the house we debated whether to just take him straight to the hospital or call the ambulance. It was actually better that we called nine one one because mm-hmm. in the, ambulance they stabilized him and on the way to the hospital, he had two more seizures and these were grand mal seizures. So this, this was yeah. cool. We had no idea what was going on and, you know, we're both kind of frantic, but holding it together as, as parents in our situations, you know, try to do. Yeah. Um, and I left my wife and son at the hospital and I went back home figuring we're going to be looking at uh, maybe a significant hospital stay, who knows. So went home to pack a bag. And I, of course, on the way in the car being, you know, Perfectly conscientious of my safety driving. I'm texting everybody and messaging everybody to letting them know what's going on. Please help. Please pray, blah, blah, blah. And one of the texts on the way back to the hospital, my wife texts me that they did a CT scan and they found what's called a Chiari malformation. C-H-I-A-R-I see that and of course the first thing in my head is oh oh my god he's got a brain tumor right Mm so i google chiari and as it turns out a chiari is is a a malformation of the brain in which there's it's basically in in very generic layman's terms it's too much brain for the skull so um the the brain has kind of outgrown the skull they haven't grown together um you know symmetrically kind of a deal and so what happens is you have all of this pressure being put on the brain and that that may, it doesn't always, but it may result in the seizures or seizure activity. Um, what it also does though, that I found interestingly, as I researched it, is that it can actually also affect um, a variety of motor skills. So it can affect vision because your your visual motor cortex is in the back of your brain already anyway. So it can affect vision, it can affect some, some other motor skills. And it, it was funny because when I read that, what I found interesting was, he had a very good therapist for years. who was a speech therapist, but but really just wonderful woman loved him very much and, and was very good at her job, very experienced. And she often said, you know, he's not really autistic; he's apraxic, which apraxia is something that a lot of our autistic kids deal with in terms of right. having having motor apraxia, meaning that you know the the muscles and the brain aren't quite linked up. So, you know, and, and this really plays out in terms of his um, you know, his his oral motor and and you know being able to to vocalize because those you know, those muscles just either aren't developed correctly or, you know, they're, they're not firing. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, that, you know, it, it shows up as a child who maybe cognitively isn't as advanced as he very well could be those motor skills prohibit his speech. And therefore, you know, the kind of the default as well, if he can't talk, then there's a lot of things he probably doesn't know, which in his case we don't really believe is true. Mm So uh, we found that fascinating for sure. Um, And as it turned out, we actually wound up transferring him from the hospital in our community to a little better hospital a short ways away, Advocate uh, Lutheran in Park Ridge, Illinois. And as it turned out, we were lucky because not only did we have one of the top neurologists in the Chicagoland area there in terms of pediatric neurologists, but also one of the top pediatric uh, neurosurgeons there. And both had come highly recommended from other people we had spoken to in our community. And, um, you know, they explained the situation that, you know, the seizures, although they, they couldn't necessarily prove it. Uh, the seizures were probably caused by the Chiari and that now um, it was, in, in terms of how Chiari malformations go, it wasn't that serious, but it was serious enough to where it, it would necessitate surgery um, or things would just get worse over time. Mm-hmm. And so the the surgeon recommended doing it as quickly as possible. We had a hospital stay originally of about five days. We came back the next month, uh, right about, to be honest with you, was uh, it probably, I think we went in, Uh, It was the day after um, my birthday. My birthday is actually Easter Sunday this year. And and so I think it was, it was actually a few days after my birthday. So I think it might've been April 15th of last year. He went in for the surgery. um, And and truthfully, the surgery went great. Um, They did have to remove a small part of his skull and his C1 vertebrae. um, But I'm I'm happy to say that even though he had a lengthy recovery, um, he's doing quite well now. Um, He's pretty much back to normal, back to all activities. There are some things he will naturally be prohibited from because of the nature of the surgery. So in other words, no, you know, high risk sports, um, you know, no jumping out of an airplane, no, you know, crazy roller coasters at the theme park, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. You know, he, he can live a normal life, um, but there are some things that, again, because of how it might affect, um, you know, his, the way that his head and neck are stabilized now, you know, we don't want to cause any more brain trauma. Yeah. So, so that's just something we have to kind of keep an eye out for. But for the most part, Everything is back is back to normal, um, other than this COVID pandemic now, which has him isolated to e learning and, and e therapy because the therapists do do mm-hmm. their thing through Zoom as well. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's that's our life right now. So I, I would tell you that our walk, I, I think that you know all autistic parents might say that if you've met one special needs child, you've met one. Um, we all have our own unique story to tell. Um, so while some things are specific to us, you know, I'm sure there are some things in there that that we all kind of have experienced and yeah. and rebelled for. Um, you know, but but ultimately what I would say is that um we are parents who gave everything to our child. He was our only child. We really committed all the way to him. Um, you know, we believe that he has a good life and he'll continue to have a good life. But the way that our life trajectory has gone as, you know from just being a married couple to being a, a family and you know now to being a a family where we really have a co-parenting situation mm-hmm. you know um these are all things that are very unique and special to folks who have kids on the spectrum um who are you know who do have special needs and and I think there are some unique definitely some unique challenges but also some some unique gifts as well in in the in the story so
0: yeah for sure Um, I just, I know you said things have kind of gotten back to normal, but of course it's always like what's normal. Um,
1: but
0: in terms of after the surgery, has he had any more seizures or is that like a risk going forward? He has not had any
1: more seizures. Now I will tell you though, that, um, those are controlled through medication. Mm. So he is on medication and, and the way that that works is the neurologist explained it to us is that, um, he needs to be seizure free for a two year period in order to finally come off of those medications. So in other words, um, he can be seizure free for one year and 363 days, Mm -hmm. but 364 of year two, if he has another seizure, that two year cycle starts from scratch. So He has not had any issues so far. Fingers crossed. Thank God. But um Yeah. So that that is really how they how they um, watch that and how they uh, how they monitor that.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm sure as a parent, too, you're like, that's fine. Keep him on medication, because I can only imagine how scary that would have been for you and your wife that day going through that. My, My son, Logan, has has not ever had any seizures. I've had many guests on that have have children who have seizures and obviously it's a really common link with with kids with autism um, but I have heard that because like you said your son was older when he had his first one that like just because they don't have them in childhood doesn't mean that they can't develop later so very very scary but I'm so glad that he's doing better now
1: yes yes definitely and um, you know it, it really is a gift that we got out of it the way that we did and uh, again I, I mean this also is you know, it, it's the reality that, on the one hand, um, you know you don't want to have you don't want to have to have those five or six day hospital stays, especially when you don't have all the answers to the questions you have. But at the same time, um, and I'm sure we'll we'll get to this pretty soon here. Um, what I can tell you is that um, you know that when you're loved and supported by family, friends, in your community. When you experience trauma like that, because I, I can tell you that we had so many folks step up to the plate, support mm-hmm. us, give back to us, um, help in any way they could. You know, it the outpouring of love was remarkable, and and as I look back at it now with perspective, I think to myself, it was it was just incredible. So, you know, again, scary, exhausting, trying, challenging—all all of those words you can you can define it as, but what a gift and what a blessing and, and just what a way that it shows the goodness and the heart of people. When you experience something like that, you're, you're really reminded about, you know, how much you actually are thought of lifted up and supported in the community. So,
0: yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you have that support that really, it does make all the difference. Um, tell me a little bit, cause I know, I mean, you had mentioned that you're, you're soon to be ex-wife and this is a pretty recent for you. How has the adjustment been going from, you know, this, like family unit to now single parenting, especially in terms of having you know a child on the spectrum.
1: Yeah, and and what I would tell you is that you know, and and without going into to too many of the of the gory details of exactly yeah. how it went down, but um, you know. Ultimately, first of all, I would tell you that um, like I would tell you most parents going through divorce and, and especially special needs parents, that the child really is at the center of our family and at the center of our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love our son to death and we both want what's best for him. Now, I will tell you that, you know, certainly one of my biggest concerns as this played out was um, knowing my child. And again, there might be a lot of folks listening to this who have a child that you know, certainly has, is more medically fragile or has, you know, more issues developmentally, cognitively, et cetera, than ours does where, um, you know, it's just easier to have two parents in the same house and with my child's needs, however extreme they are, you know, to my mind, I'm like, it just makes a heck of a lot more sense. Whatever issues we have in terms of our marriage that we try to work that out because this is really what's best for him. Now, in some cases, maybe you can do that. And we certainly had our stuff in the past that we had worked through. Um, And legitimately, there may be some folks who have equally tried it. And it may just be better off that, you know, parents separate or divorce. And in some cases, especially if there's other things going on where it it literally is, you know, a safety issue or what have you, you know, then then, yeah, you you do need to make those choices. But, you know, my biggest concern was, how do we co-parent? You know, what is this going to look like? And and the, the biggest issue that I think all special needs parents have, even if you are happily married, is parent burnout and, and caretaker burnout. Yeah. And we specifically know this in a way that other parents don't. Whereas, you know, as, as parents, you all have those moments where you go crazy and pull your hair out. But as a special needs parent, you legitimately become taxed physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And so how do you, how do you really address that in a way that, that's healthy? And when you have two parents that can kind of tag team it, it helps. Um, and in our case, I think what we've done, and I really spoke to this um, through a couple of other webinars I had done recently, but talking especially about being a special needs parent, really in this COVID crisis, um, you know, one of the things that I, I've really spoken to in, in those arenas is that, you know, my, my wife and I, my ex-wife, um, you know, regardless of our, the emotional things between us, We've really stepped up to the plate more recently, especially during this crisis, to really be good parents and good partners in that sense. Mm-hmm. One thing and and in the webinars, and I'll just t- touch on these briefly. One big thing in the webinars that I spoke to are, are, are the three C's, communication, coordination, and compassion, okay? Communication in the sense of we want to make sure that you know, even though we have like our set schedule in the same ways that, you know, I would be communicating with my ex about, Hey, he had a good night. He didn't have a good night. Um, you know, this is what we did today. These are things I'm seeing, you know, maybe he had a little bit of an extra meltdown or was frustrated, whatever, you know, all of those things get amped up, especially with what we have going on now with the quarantine. And so mm-hmm. um, communication really is, is key. So I think we do a very good job communicating, sharing ideas, Um, You know, I I tell the story in the webinar about how when I heard the news over the radio, I had just dropped my son off from having him over one weekend. And I had just heard the news report come come in over the radio from the Illinois governor's office saying that, you know, the next day that that Monday, all the restaurants and bars and everything would be closed. The first thing I did was pull over, call my ex and say, hey, listen, he loves going out. He loves eating. He loves restaurants. They're not going to be open anymore. So. Mm You need to be aware of this and you need to be make sure that each one is communicating as much as possible. Again, for the welfare of your child, you may or may not have a good relationship, but you want to at least keep that open and, and as integral as possible for them. Uh, coordination is the other thing I mentioned. So, um, you know, one thing that I've been lucky to do in this crisis is because of the nature of my job is work from home. Um, even though we're all home, um, you know, my wife, who's a school teacher, um, has e-learning that she now only has to do. With my son when she has him, but she's also responsible for doing e-learning with her own kids that she teaches. So right. since I work from home, but in a slightly different capacity, it's a little bit easier for me to take him extra. So I tell her, "Listen, you know this is not in our parenting plan, so to speak. But look, th- nothing is normal anymore. I can take yeah. him an extra day. I can take him an extra night. Right. You know, we'll coordinate it if something comes up with me, which I, I recently have had some things come up with my mother where there's a couple nights I couldn't take him, but." we coordinate those things. You know, we talk about, okay, what's going to prevent burnout and support that parent? Because here's the thing, you know, whether or not you have a good relationship or not, with your ex or your co-parent, the fact is, is that if it's about your child, you want to make sure that you're healthy, fresh, and in a good place for them because they will burn you out very quickly. And especially with the added stress and anxiety we're all dealing with, you know, that's what you really have to have to think about. So again, putting the child first and seeing where are some ways you can be flexible and help out. And and again, that leads to the, the final C I mentioned, which is compassion, right? So it's all about compassion. It's kind of that extra grace. Now, when you're in the middle of a heated divorce, and trust me, we've had our moments, um, that's the last thing you want to do with anybody. But again, if you remember the love you once had, and specifically the love you still have for your child, right?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: it's in, you know, your child's best interest in mom and dad are at least working on it and working together and being positive and supportive, at least for your child's sake, right? So give a little grace, give a little compassion, put your ego aside, especially in something like this, because the reality is, is that, um, you know, people think, you know, that we know when this all might end, but we don't really know. You know, maybe this ends at the end of April, maybe it goes another month or two, who knows? We're really gonna be pressed here. So we really wanna make sure that we're compassionate, that we're lifting each other up, and and we're giving just that little bit of extra grace to to the people in our child's life, again, they may not be the person they once were to you, but they are still that same person to your child. And eventually Mm -hmm. your anger and emotions and hard feelings will go away, but that will always be mom or that'll always be dad. And so that's Mm -hmm. how you have to kind of work with it. I I think. Um, And again, our situation has not been perfect, but since specifically this whole COVID thing has broken out, I think we've done a pretty good job at it. And in general, I think, um, it's just kind of, you know, made our relationship in that sense a lot better as well. So.
0: I really appreciate you sharing all that. Obviously, from your perspective now as a single parent, but I just think in general, that is good parenting advice. <laughs> I think no matter what your situation is, having open communication, coordinating everything, having compassion for each other. Because like you said, burnout is so real. And that's not necessarily something that has come up a lot on on the podcast before me. We talk about you know high anxiety, high stress. But I think especially right now, with everything that we're dealing with. Yeah. The burnout is real. And I mean, there's, there's so much stress going on outside of the situation than add, you know, like taking care of kids into the mix. I have three kids. So it's like Logan, I have Logan and then I have my two daughters. So there's just a lot going on all the time. So I think that is really good advice across the board, but it does sound like you and your ex-wife have like really worked hard to have a good relationship just for your child. And I think that that is like truly the best thing you can do in any situation.
1: Yeah, for, for sure. And I, I guess the last thing that I would just say to that, too, is I, I always make sure that I'm sensitive to, again, those folks where there, there might not be a co-parent in the space. And there are a lot of families like that where, you know, this this all sounds great, but, um, you know, I, mom's not in the picture. Dad's not in the picture. Right. What do I do? Well, um, you know, first of all, I, I I'm sensitive to those things and I acknowledge how difficult, extra difficult, you know, that is on. Truly, a single parent. You know, when there isn't another co-parent in the in the picture. Um, but again, that is where you can kind of apply those same tools or those same approaches to the people that are in your life. You know, you may not have mom or dad, but you have grandma, grandpa, auntie, uncle. You know, brother. You know, your um. You know, your siblings. Um, mm-hmm. you know, other close friends in the community, neighbors, etc. Whoever those people are that you pull on. Make sure that you're, you know, communicating with them. Make sure that you're coordinating with them. I mean, we're all kind of home right now, and you know, nobody wants to spread anything. But um, this is probably kind of a good, you know, beta test, so to speak, to say, hey, you know what, you know, maybe somebody might be a good, you know, respite helper or worker in the house. Yeah. Maybe somebody could give me a few hours so I can run out to the store or you know do some work at home or whatever the case is. So you know, we we just want to make sure that we're opening ourselves up to the opportunity. It is so difficult as a special needs parent to open yourselves up and to really say you need the help, especially early on in a diagnosis, which is a whole other story. But, um, you know, I think we really need to remember to really be speaking out what we need. Um, and, and again, don't, you know, you, you want to push that guilt aside, especially at a time like this, because the bottom line is we're all stressed. We're all under a lot of pressure. And so all of the guilt and the negative feelings and the doubt, you know, let's let's push that aside speak out what you need. You never know what somebody is willing to do. And, and honestly, I think we can all speak to a lot of acts of kindness that we've seen across the board um, with our own families, but also in our communities and, and across the nation and across the world right now. I think it's a it's a fascinating time, but I think it's a time where we're all called to to be the best people we can be. And that starts with us being good parents for sure.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this really is such uncharted territory for all of us. So we're all just kind of figuring things out as we go. I, I totally agree with you that, you know, the single parents that are like truly solo parents that, you know, don't have a co-parent in the picture. I mean, I think we all need extra support right now, but those parents, especially like you said, just, you know, reaching out to anybody in your support system. And again, it's not like you, know, what, you want to get sick or get anybody else sick, but at the same time, it's like, you need to put, you know, your, you need to be a self-advocate as well and know that like, Hey, this is a lot right now i'm starting to feel like i'm getting burnt out and being able to pull from that support team is just so important
1: definitely for sure
0: yeah tell me more about your your work and especially like as an advocate um, i love that you said you're working with adults what's that like
1: sure absolutely so um well um i work for a small nonprofit um that works with special needs adults so these are these are folks in transition or older. So, you know, they really run an age from 18 to I would say the oldest are about like in their early 30s. And um, it's it, it, it's fascinating. Um, you know, I'll speak a little bit to that and then kind of how I got to a place where I could actually be in a position like this. Um, but I, I'm a program manager. So our organization um, is small but mighty, as we like to say. And so what we do is really intentional grassroots kind of stuff. Um, the programs we run are really classes. So educational classes, and social programs and outings. So, um, you know, we do things like art programs. Um, we do something that we call Maker's Lab, which is uh, kind of a class where they do crafty things that we actually sell on our um, organization's website, kind of like our own Etsy page. And then, you know, all that oh, yeah. goes back into the organization. Um, we also do some of these pop up shops. So we actually do um, some of these community events, you know, like farmers markets and different things where we'll sell our stuff as well. Um, you know, we do outings in the community, like your kind of typical movie nights or you know, guys night out, that kind of thing. And, you know, sometimes um, we do very um, unique things like we do, um, you know, kind of these uh, creative writing uh, programs and classes. Uh, the, the art program we have is very unique and special because not only do we have a, a trained, talented artist that teaches it, but we've actually had some great inroads in our local community where we've had our artwork shown in various local businesses. We've had artwork shown um, at the Village Hall, um, you know, for our town. Um, we're going to have a show eventually when everything opens back up at the public library. So it's, it's really fascinating stuff. Um, I was only able to step into that role, though, because, um, you know, I besides having a special needs child, um, I actually got into some advocacy work um, kind of intentionally and unintentionally, so to speak, um, a few years ago. Um, I had actually I, I have a little bit of a passion for writing. Um, and I always said that I'd, I'd write a book someday, never got around to it. And I was talking with with some folks that I knew that, you know, were also special needs parents and did some writing. And one had suggested a few years ago, hey, you know, I, I blog for this organization. You know, they'd love to have another blogger, especially, you know, a dad, you know, a guy to come on board Would you want to try it? I said, oh, sure. So I started blogging with this um, small organization, special needs uh, ministry organization in Wisconsin. And within about six months, they got uh, absorbed into a large organization called Key Ministry. Key Ministry is a national organization. uh, It's a special needs um, disability ministry based out of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, And they have a a variety of resources for parents, families, caregivers, and also for churches and how to support uh, specifically, you know, uh, houses of worship in order to really create programs for special needs, kids, adults, et cetera, to be included. Um, you know, one thing that really is a, is a tough thing for families is that when you get a diagnosis, you know, you feel so alone and maybe you have family that understands, but maybe not, but also too, in your own community, sometimes, you know, people will go to the churches or, you know, whatever denomination you might belong to because they think that there's an open door for them. And in most cases, um, they either don't have any kind of support or program, but there are also horror stories of some churches that actually may close their doors to certain families because they say, we just can't help you. So that's what an organization like Key Ministry does. And so um, they do uh, a national conference once a month, which unfortunately uh, it would have been in April, but got canceled. Um, I became a, a blog writer for them and a speaker um, a few years ago then. So I blogged for them as well as uh, another organization based out of Indiana called Hope New. And there's a couple of folks who are also tied to Key Ministry and um, they started their own organization there and I blog for them. And I've had some of my things posted on the Mighty as well. So most people kind of in the special needs world know the Mighty in terms of that resource. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I've done a few podcasts here and there. I've also gotten very much involved from the standpoint of supporting special needs dads. So a great organization that I actually started working with is called the Special Fathers Network. Uh, The Special Fathers Network uh, was founded by a businessman in downtown Chicago named David Hirsch. David had worked with some fatherhood organizations for the past 20 years. And more recently, he shifted his focus to special needs dads. And he started an organization that does a couple of things. One, it provides mentorship for special needs dads. So in other words, if you're a dad, let's say especially one with a new diagnosis and you are very fresh to this and you don't know where to go for help or even just some advice or just to have somebody to talk to, the Special Fathers Network has a mentorship program where you can get connected to a mentor dad. So someone, let's say, who may or may not be Older than you, whose you know son or daughter may or may not be older, but someone who has kind of already walked down the road to a certain degree, maybe the same mm-hmm. diagnosis as your child, maybe kind of the same uh, demographic, roughly speaking, and so it's someone that you can talk to, you know, and you know with with no obligation. It's really just kind of like a support hotline, and you get connected with a mentor, and then you work with that mentor for however long you you think you need. Um, I'm a mentor dad. Um, you know, I know plenty of the other ones. They're wonderful guys. And there's also a whole line of podcasts that go with the Special Fathers Network as well. I had done one of them. Um, special Fathers Network has actually done podcasts with a lot of um, very unique special needs dads. So certainly more run-of-the-mill ones like me, but also some that are uh, more or less local celebrities, at least in the Chicago area, who you might not think are special needs dads, but you know you, it's interesting to hear their stories. So, um, so just really wonderful stuff. Uh, and we actually did a, a conference for them as well last year. Uh, We still have one coming up in May. Hopefully we'll see if things don't uh, shut down through May, Um, you know, but, but a lot of great resources out there that I've been very fortunate and blessed to get connected with. And so um, as well as the fact that I run my own support group for special needs dads in the North suburbs of Chicago in Northbrook once a month, I do that with another special needs dad that I know who's who's also a single dad. And um, this, that's just kind of a reason for guys to get together, um, you know, just, share your stories, I have a little fellowship, usually try to invite a guest speaker as well if possible, and, and just a way for guys to connect. So um, one thing i found as a special needs parent is it's tough to share your story and ask for help. One thing about guys especially, though, and I'll really speak to this because it tends to be my niche a little bit more, is that guys are the fixers, right? Guys are the fixers in the family. Usually the dynamic you see with a special needs family is. Mom does all of the heavy lifting in terms of finding the therapist, finding the resources, digging all this stuff out, organizing, getting calendars together. Great job. My, my ex was so great at this and still is. What does dad do? Dad usually listens to everything, agrees with whatever's best and, and writes a check if possible. You know, dad usually throws them himself more so into his work. Because then there's this added pressure of I need to provide, I need to get the resources, I need to be able to pay for all of these new things, right? Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that men very typically don't like to share their feelings, don't like people to know that there's a problem, and also don't like this feeling of helplessness, right? And that's not all guys, but that's a lot of guys to, to varying degrees. And so what I really like to do is make sure that I'm speaking out, guys, look, you need support as much as you know mom does or your wife does. Um, if you're, if you're a single dad, especially like I myself count myself as now, um, you know, it's really important for you to make sure that you're getting those supports because not only will you face some of those same issues you did when you were married, but now it's also very unique. You know, you're going to be separated from your child. You know, you're going to need to get on board with some more of that communication a little bit, because it's not like, you know, your wife's going to be telling you stuff, you know, when you walk in the door every day, you need to make sure that, you know, you're also very intentionally invested with your child. Even if even if you considered yourself having done that already, it takes it to another level because now you won't be seeing them all the time. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I really try to speak out all of the resources and things that I'm connected to, um, all of the different ways that you know I can provide um, connections for folks. You know, I may not have an answer for you, I may not be the guy who's ultimately going to help you, but I probably know somebody who can. And again, I'm so lucky to have been connected with so many folks locally in the Chicago area and also across the country. And uh, the the good news and the bottom line of all this is that there is help out there, there is support, and there are people that are ready and willing to give it. All one has to do is ask. And so I I would just really impart to everybody listening to this, if you haven't gotten to the place where you're ready to start asking for the help, please consider that. Um, The resources are there, um, certainly through through things I share and through this podcast in general, and and also lots of other wonderful resources out there as well.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that, especially from a father's perspective, because I think support in general is just so important for special needs parents. Like you said, especially in the beginning, like after a new diagnosis, it's it is a a lonely kind of scary road at that point. And honestly, that's like the biggest reason why I started this podcast, because I I know I personally would have really benefited from hearing just other people's stories, people who are, you know, on the same path or a similar path. Um, but especially for dads, I think that it is it is a little bit different because like you said, moms are the ones who are usually kind of getting the schedules together and coordinating everything. And I think for fathers, it's just like they, they experiencing the same type of things, but just in a different sort of way. I know my husband and I have definitely... We, I always say, I'm like, we end up in the same place, but we just like take a different road to get there. Um, Cause we just process things so, so differently. And I do think it's really important for dads to have like that support from other dads. I love having dads in the show. I, I, I know I have male listeners so I can see my, (laughs) my demographics and I've had, I've had several on at this point, but it is interesting. I, I, every time I hear from a dad who's interested in coming on, I, I always am like, yes, please. Cause I think that more dads just like you said, kind of need to find that support and be willing to accept the support.
1: Yeah. And, and, and it really goes back to that, that whole idea again, of, of just asking, right. And, and being vulnerable enough to just say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm one of you. And, and sometimes that, that's all mm-hmm. it takes, you know, you don't, you don't need to tell me every, you know, very personal detail of your life, but you know, if, if you share enough, you know, you realize how much in common you have with, yeah. all of us kind of on, on this journey. And, and and sometimes, you know, it really goes unspoken, right? You know, I mean, we we all kind of can nod our heads in a circle when we all kind of share some of these stories because we all connect to them in some way. So, you know, the fact is, is that, you know, the, the resources and, and the help are there. Um, more than ever, I, I think we need to be connecting with people. And again, one benefit going back to just referencing the COVID thing is that um, I think people are doing that in some very unique, special ways. And as special needs parents, we especially need to be, as always, extra sensitive to it because of the way that it's affecting our kids now, but also in the ways that we can be reaching out to others and and helping and supporting.
0: Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and just sharing your whole journey and for all the amazing advocacy work you're doing. Can you share where people can connect with you and find all this good stuff that we've been talking about?
1: Absolutely. So, um, I would first direct people to my Facebook page. Now, I will confess, I don't have a website yet, but it is almost done. And in fact, hopefully it's <laughs> going to be done this month. I, I just want to give a quick plug for a good friend of mine who actually is building my website, Sarah Brody, who has her own uh, special needs podcast as well. She's also a special needs mom and a writer friend. So uh, her podcast is a special hope. Yeah, her podcast is a special hope podcast and her website is Hope and Autism. And I it was actually her first interview uh, her first adult interview technically her first interview was her own autistic son which was very cool but i was her first adult, uh you know uh, parent interview um but so if you look for dot uh.com very soon it's not up yet but hopefully this month but you can go to my blog page in the meantime on facebook so it's john's special needs blog john special needs blog on facebook uh, feel free to just like the page and connect w- with me there. I kind of just dump all my um, stuff there for the time being. Feel free to connect with me on Facebook as well. Just send me a friend re- request or a message at John Fellageller. You can find me on Instagram at Jay Um I am also on Twitter at J Fellageller 74 um, I'm on LinkedIn at John Fellageller. if you do LinkedIn as well. Um, and again, um, you can find me. I link to all of the podcasts on my uh, blog page, but... I also write for uh, Key Ministry. Um, Key, so if you go to keyministry.org or hopeanew.org, uh, I blog on there as well. Um, and again, my podcast through Special Hope Podcast, you'll find me on there, Special Fathers Network, um, and uh, a couple other random ones that, that you'll see. Uh, and of course, I'm, I'm very honored to include this one now as well.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Well, thanks again for coming on the show today and just for sharing everything. I am looking forward to checking out all these awesome resources that you're talking about.
1: Yes, absolutely. And one last plug also, too, and I don't know if it'll make it in time, but um, if somebody is looking for a virtual Easter service, uh, there is a great one for special needs families that Key Ministry will be doing through their website. Uh, they will be streaming on Easter Sunday and um, I actually have just a little teeny bit part in it. I'll, I'll just spoil that. But um, they're doing a wonderful thing, again, as most the churches and houses of worship are doing for Easter, streaming their services. But Key Ministries is doing one specifically geared for special needs families. So even if this doesn't come out in time, if you want to go back and check it out, you know, it'll still be up and it might be a great way for you to um, connect during the week as well. So
0: that's awesome. It's funny because that actually is something that I have heard from many parents about just saying how, you know, their, their, their church life is really affected by their child's diagnosis. And like you were saying, there is some churches who, that are more kind of adapting to what special needs families need than others are. Um, so I really appreciate you saying that and just for all the work that you're doing. So I know for a lot of people that is like that's sort of like their comfort and having like their church family. And I think that it it's not always as easy as it might seem. So I, I just really appreciate all the work you're doing there.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much for saying that.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, it's been a joy to chat with you, um, but thanks so much. You take care.
1: Absolutely. Thanks. You too.
0: OK, bye. Download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash adventures and autism, all one word. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash adventures and autism for your free audiobook. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with John. He is just an awesome dude. And I will make sure to add all his links and handles in the show notes page so you can find him and connect with him. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook at Adventures and Autism Podcast, on Instagram at Adventures and Autism Pod, or you can email me at Adventures in Autism 2018 at yahoo.com. I say it every week, but I love hearing from you guys. I love getting feedback about the show. If you have any questions or comments, send them my way. If you are interested in being a guest on the show, if you would send me an email with a little bit about you, your backstory, what you want to talk about on your episode, that would be awesome. and Get the ball rolling there. And that is all for now. Again, I have many updates <laughs> to share with you guys. We've had... A lot going on over here a little too much if you ask me um, but I will I'll come back and share that another day if you have been enjoying the show and you would be so kind to leave a review on Apple podcast those reviews mean so much to me they really do help people to find the show I am extremely untech savvy and I don't know much about algorithms but I do know that the more five stars and happy reviews the show gets then the more people can find it and listen, and we can just share the love. Um, but you guys are the best. Thank you so much. And until next time, take care.